Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Awareness Project. Today, we are going to talk about uh, politics in the United States as well as the election uh, for uh, the 2020 cycle. Um, this is the continuation of our second uh, of our episode from last week, uh, election in the United States. Uh, this is the second part, and we hope to cover a few topics that we were not able to talk through last week. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce my co-host, Kunal and Nick. Welcome, guys. Uh, good morning. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Good morning. So, Kunal, we, we've seen, a, a, a Nick, both of you, we've seen a lot of interesting things happen over the last week or a couple of weeks, right? Um, we've also heard of, you know, how this election cycle is so um, sort of aggressive from both candidates and even from the people that are supporting each candidate. I think one of the things that is very striking about the cycle and, and you know, a lot of uh, sort of news floating around about this is that how either candidate is going to affect or effectively uh, react once um, the election results are declared. Question, obviously, is that whether November 3rd is going to be the day that they declare the results or it's going to wait until the Electoral College votes in December. Um, but there's a lot of talk about, you know, if Trump, uh, you know, it does not win whether he will concede the, the seat of the president. And similarly, if Biden were, uh, did not win, would he accept the election results? Um, I, for one, I'm not sure how this plays out because we've never seen this before. But you know, given where we are, what kind of thoughts are, are, are you uh, gonna fall in? What, what, what do you think would happen? Good and bad case scenario. Uh, Nick, you want to chime in? Sure. So I think that um, if uh, in one scenario, if um, Biden lost uh, and the um, it seemed like the votes were were counted correctly, there was no uh, you know discounting of mail-in vote, votes. Um, and he conceded based on uh, a legitimate loss in the electoral college. But if uh, similar to 2016, he won the popular vote, I think that would cause a lot of um, a lot of uh, un- not unrest, but a lot of um, further debate over the electoral college versus the popular vote and the uh, legitimacy there in terms of people being upset that their votes don't count, further distrust of the electoral process for the president, and a lot of, um, a lot of concern about the next four years. I think that after 2016, there was maybe a thought that, well, uh, despite losing the um despite losing and despite getting uh the popular vote maybe you know kind of holding hoping for the best and holding uh holding your breath for the midterm elections and then you know well maybe it'll just be one term gave a, a a sense of patience uh to to the democratic party and i don't think that would be there um, if Trump won uh, his re-election bid. 
Yeah, I completely agree with you, Nick. So I, I see two or three scenarios playing out as well. Uh, one, uh, again, it, there is a possibility that this could be a repeat of 2016, where the polls are completely underestimating the, uh, you know, the voters for Trump. Uh, Michael Moore talks about it in his latest podcast, and he also talks a little bit about it in um, in one of the interviews he did. Uh, that there is this underlying Trump factor that people are afraid of speaking up in public. They don't show up in the polls very regularly. And and again, the way the elections are, you it really comes down to five or six states, right? Uh, the Midwest states, Florida, maybe Arizona, uh, North Carolina. Uh, and it, it, it's at the end of the day, it's a math game, right? Um, you get the right number of votes at the right places, and you can be an electoral victor, right? And there is a possibility of it. I personally don't see that happening this time, given people who did not vote last time, uh, people are voting in draws this time around, uh, either to make up for what they consider a mistake or just staying um, silent. Plus, there is no third-party candidate this time around. The third-party candidate, at least a viable third-party candidate, um, in my mind, who took votes away from uh, Hillary and maybe even from Trump to some extent. So th- there is a, a minimization of those factors uh, that that takes um, that comes into play. I think the real danger we have is you know you, know, you have a clear uh, a clear lead for a candidate and for some reason the Supreme Court or the electors uh, uh, you know don't agree with the will of the people and that leads to really uh, bad outcomes. And in that scenario, and we'll be, I think we'll talk about this in a later part of the segment, but in that scenario, I don't see Democrats accepting the defeat and there'll be a lot more chaos the next four years uh, if if the winner was declared either by the Supreme Court or some foul play with, um, uh, some foul play with uh, the electors going on. So we'll, we'll address this in the next um, next segment, certainly. Uh, but Kunal, what are your thoughts? Uh, I know you were also thinking about, you know, a lot of like folks trying to uh, intimidate the voters, and I know you had certain thoughts around how that also might play into this as well. Right. So I I think I want to address a couple of points that you guys brought up first before we dive into that, that yep. part. Right. Um, so the first thing was, yes, it, it it's going to be a messy election. There's no no doubt about that. But more importantly. Um, you know, how are these guys going to necessarily react, right? So I don't know if you guys follow, I, I definitely follow Michael Moore. I've listened to a lot of his podcasts. He does a great job. But I've also followed Bill Maher. And in his latest episode that aired this Friday, um, he had Al Franken on the podcast, right? Or on his episode, rather. And uh, basically pointedly asked him the question. And Bill Maher is the one who's calling this out for the last two or three years, where he's basically going out and saying that if Trump wins, he's not going to concede office. He's going to stay in the White House. He's going to do whatever he can to not get out of there. He's not going to leave his post. And he he's kept asking this question over and over and over and over again, until the point that Trump brought it up about six or seven months ago, saying that if he doesn't agree with the results of the election, he's not going to leave the White House. Um, now, this can be one of two things, right? Like Trump usually gets his ideas from other people. We've all seen that. Like Fox News has been very instrumental in the way that, you know, Trump behaves, acts, and, and talks at his rallies and his tweets, et cetera. Um, also, 
people on his staff, Stephen Miller has been very, very instrumental in guiding the way that Trump presents himself. Um, he also looks at, you know, other TV personalities, talk shows, whatever. He loves the ratings, as everybody knows. And he goes after anybody who's, you know, giving him any kind of ideas, good, bad or ugly. And he either attacks them or embraces them. Um, that being said, I will not let anything by or past what this administration can do. They have basically, and I hate to use this analogy, but they're basically the Bill Belichick and the Patriots of the presidential race, right? Like they will bend the rules as much as they can, as long as, you know, it's not completely uh, aberrant, right? And in your face, they're, they're, they're uh, cheating, right? So we have to be very careful in how we address what we are seeing and not leave anything off the table, correct? Separately, you know, we've seen a lot of uh, sort of violent intent that's coming off from supporters. And I'm going to call this out. I usually try to be as diplomatic as possible, but it's more one-sided than the other. The latest uh, sort of infraction being that we had uh, the Biden troop that was going into uh, Austin, Texas, I think last date last week. Um, and, you know, I don't think that the Vice President and, and Senator Harris were on the bus, but the bus and the troop were attacked by Trump supporters, you know, riding in pickup trucks, cars, whatever, and tried to run them off the road. And this was even after they did have some security with the staff uh, and other cars that were a part of the troop. Um, we have been seeing a lot of this recently. Uh, I don't know, you know, whether we have enough to control this kind of behavior. Um, but it is there. We have to be aware of it. We have to be prudent about it. And most importantly, we have to vote out this negativity. The problem that I see that is the biggest issue with all of this is it seems that the president and this administration do encourage this. Uh, maybe not you know, fully coming out and saying it as such, but backhanded compliments, not uh, you know, um, sort of... Uh, talking about it in a negative tone once it has happened or, uh, you know, coming out on national TV and criticizing these kind of actions and events, right? But they rather, they don't even talk about it, meaning that they're giving that kind of hope to these people. And coming back to the same uh, issue that, or, or the uh, infraction that happened with the Biden troop, it seems that Don Jr. had gone on, uh, it was a video that was posted, I forget where it was, maybe it was aired on Fox News or whatever it was, but on Monday he had posted saying that the Biden-Harris troop are gonna be in Austin, Texas. You know, guys go out and have fun. I want you to go out to these rallies that where they're going and go out and have fun. And that's an open-ended sort of statement that's been put out there, uh, encouraging these people to do whatever the hell that they want. And it seems that not enough action is being taken to kind of stanch this uh, in its tracks, right? It's being encouraged and we don't have law enforcement. We don't have the FBI. We don't have the CIA. Any of the uh, law enforcement agencies in the country actually going actively against this and making examples of people like this, right? I'm not saying- yeah, that It's interesting, right, Kunal? Like uh, the party that talks about law and order, it's yes. completely open to running, uh, you know, the bus of uh, opposing party of the, of the roads. Uh, I saw the video of it, uh, able to, you know, uh, there was almost a car that kind of ran into the caravan. Um, and yeah, you see some of those Twitter images, right, where they compare it with, um, 
with ISIS. I, I, I don't think that's fair, but at the same time, you know, it is also illuminating, right? The party that talks about law and order and, um, uh, you know, being so against ISIS and being able to destroy ISIS, giving giving voice to such, you know, rogue elements in the society. And, um, and you know, I, I can almost vouch for the fact, again, I don't have data to support this, but I bet there is there were law enforcement officials in that caravan, right? Either, you know, dressed or not dressed as, as law enforcement, but there is a tacit support for law and of law enforcement officials to this kind of tactics, which is sad and disheartening. But anyway. it, this is a cult, right? When you think about it, because it's like everyone behaves the same way, right? And, and everyone is probably a bad word. I mean, there are obviously bad apples everywhere, but you see this more on the right where they get together, they're, they're honking their horns. They have these big flags flying on, on the back of pickup trucks. I've seen them right here. I mean, I've, I've seen old people get out of these pickup trucks with massive Trump flags and the U.S. flags flying on the back, right? And there's this one guy, and I, you know, this is sort of fleeting, but there's one guy in, in Florida has wrapped this $500,000 Ferrari with a Trump fence wrap, right? It is a little insane when you think about it. I have never seen anything like this on the left. Totally right? insane. <laughs> so, um, Yes, we, we, we do live in very interesting times. But at the same time, like I talk to a lot of people, I've, I've talked to friends, I've talked to friends of friends, I've talked to people in the street. And people are genuinely concerned, like they don't know what is going to have to happen after November 3rd. Um, also, we have to remember that the left, you know, keeps talking about, you know, safety, let more gun reforms, not having weapons. But think about this for a second. The small majority in the South own most of the weapons that are sold in the United States. We have about 350 million plus guns out on the streets, out in people's homes, being privately owned. 90% of those guns are owned by about 10% of the population. That is a scary, scary, scary thought. Right? Yeah, and that, yeah, I would want to explore that a little bit with Nick also, right? Like, we have a different perspective on this. Um, uh, also, we are, you know, not first generation Americans, right? Um, immigrants to the country. But Nick, you've been born here. Uh, you have seen this play out through your life, right? Like, how do you think things have changed? And, you know, especially around guns and culture of violence. And has it always been a part of the society and just limited to fringe elements? Or has this now grown more problematic in the last few years? And is that a nature of our diverse politics in the country? I think similar to a lot of other areas, it's grown more extreme over the years. And um, like uh, Kamal was saying earlier, you know, you don't want to necessarily lump everyone in uh, to, to say just because there's a few bad apples, um, gun ownership is automatically bad. Um, and it's it's been a part of of the country since day one. That being said, there does seem to be a fascination with weapons that uh, are not meant for sport. They're meant to, to specifically for killing people. Um, and that is definitely troubling. Um, and it's something that I think we, we need to grapple with as a country and have a mature discussion um, that, that really talks about you know why do we have these weapons what what benefits do people see what true benefits do people see from owning them but also you know we've seen a lot of the costs over the years 
and having a, a mature discussion to grapple with those costs and uh, how we can uh, change our policies to mitigate some of those costs if, if we decide to uh, preserve that uh, ownership. Um, and I would also kind of tie it back to the election. I think it's a reminder that um, if in, in the kind of likely scenario we see from the models, if there's a Biden victory on Tuesday, these issues aren't going to go away. Um, and we as a, as a country are going to have a lot of things to grapple with because the, the divisiveness we see during the election may not melt away um, after, after the vote. And so we have to figure out how, how do we go forward as a country after seeing so much divisiveness and what uh, common, common values and common goals do we still hold? Absolutely, Nick. And, you know, to me, it feels like I would really hope for a clear win one way or the other for the country to heal and for the country to come together. Because as long as we don't have that, uh, there's always going to be this charge of um, on the, uh, you know, on the right, there'll be charge of, you know, mail-in ballots were rigged and uh, there was all this fraud. And, um, you know, most of it not based on facts, but there will be that uh, anxiety that, yes, the vote was stolen from them. And on the left, you know, the Supreme Court and others make up um, are the one who intervenes to favor Trump, uh, either through the rules of the Constitution or other, other means. I think there won't be any healing. And that's the scenario I worry about the most when, you know, we can't have four more years of this divisiveness. And it's only going to grow if, you know, we don't have a clear set of results. But I don't think that's true either. I mean, we are always going to have divisiveness, right? I think it's grown over the years. I think even the Tea Party movement, when it started 10, 15 years ago, 12 years ago, whatever it was, has sown the seeds for discord in this country. I mean, you cannot escape that, right? It's getting worse and worse and worse every year. There are people that are completely disenfranchised for X number of reasons, right? I understand, you know, once manufacturing started going away, a lot of people didn't have work. A lot of these blue-collar people, I mean... Some of these are self-inflicted wounds where they're not very educated. They are not very, they're pretty ignorant when it comes to everything that doesn't include their small little bubble that they live in. But at the same time, like the country and elitists have not done anything to placate that, right? Like there's such a big divide between the poor and the rich, the, you know, different races in this country. Like we don't mix anymore. The American dream that was started wanted everybody to be on the same page right? Nothing is further from the truth today. So hoping for the country to heal without addressing some of these major issues is basically a pipe dream. Um, I don't know what is the best way forward. Uh, a lot of people that I've talked to uh, from different walks of life, you know, different races, different strata, different whatever, right, are genuinely afraid for a civil war. And yes, this president does fan those flames of uncertainty because that's, his, that's how he's always been. He's lived his life like that. He's so discord in everything that he's done until, you know, from confusion, he rises as the hero or at least hero in terms of, you know, people who perceive him as being the hero, right? They consider, the savior, as yeah. the, right? They consider him as the second coming of Jesus, I have seen pictures, and I kid you not, I've seen pictures on Facebook Marketplace 
where he's sitting on his chair at the Oval Office and Jesus is putting a hand on his shoulder and they're selling those pictures and people are buying them in droves. Okay. When something is so ingrained in a decent majority uh, of the population's minds, it is extremely difficult to, to make them stop thinking in that, that regard, right? And, and walk away from what is genuinely just complete lies and listen to facts and the truth. I'll give you another anecdote. I, I don't want to segue, but this was very interesting. So today I was reading, I was just perusing Facebook this morning and NPR had an article about uh, evolution and it talked about like how homo sapiens, um, you know, like we humans basically were evolved into getting domesticated, but like, you know, Neanderthals and a couple of other species that were out there got wiped out because they didn't want to get domesticated. And the first and most prominent comment that showed up was from this, uh, I would say a very ignorant person. I don't know where she was from. Uh, basically said that stop peddling evolution. It's fake. God is the only thing that has created us and we are created in his image. That's why human beings have more power because God intended it that way. This is genuinely what people think. How do you eradicate that thought process? It is extremely difficult. Well, I think that one of the issues that comes up, um, certainly in internet comments, but it's, it's um, instructive in other areas too, is when people go somewhere to simply express an opinion without listening. I mean, you know, for example, this person who's, who's posted there probably isn't interested in uh, having, having her mind changed or, or learning um, about what the article has to say. It's, it's more an expression um, of, of her own opinions. And so part of it is, re-engaging um and having having those discussions and then i think part of it too is when you think about uh the divisiveness is it's sort of like if you've been in a situation where you have a really bad roommate um or kind of the relationship between roommates is broken down you don't have to be best friends um but you do have to have a certain set of uh common uh, understandings and and responsibilities to each other uh to have uh, a good working relationship kind of as roommates and to have a have a a home that you can feel comfortable in and i think a lot of people right now don't feel uh comfortable in the country because of sort of that that same problem but on a much larger and more serious scale i completely get that but also we have to consider and, and definitely, you know, throw blame where blame is necessary, right? And I think one of the biggest issues that we're having right now is technology and especially so social media have gained so much traction over the last few years. Um, and the companies themselves, just because they're interested in getting as much, uh, you know, membership, right? The more membership they have, uh, publicly traded companies, the better their stocks do, the better, you know, compensation packages, so on and so forth. So internally, it's like a vicious cycle, but they're not calling out anything that's necessarily fake until very recently, right? So they're, they're allowing people to post their opinions, which are basically opinions, and get away with that. And unfortunately, there's just so much barrage of information out there. People have basically formed silos and that's the only information they want to hear, whether good, bad, you know, ugly. And I'm not saying that even us being you know, obviously more left-leaning, that all the information that we are getting is true. But we do live in a time where we are extremely busy. 
like people who have regular jobs, families, et cetera, it's very difficult for them to go out and even be interested in actually trying to figure out the facts. There's just no time. Um, and these companies are not helping divulge original authentic information. Rather, they're allowing anything and everything to be broadcast on their, uh, on their platforms for people to basically see and just accept as it is. It is a very dangerous precedent. And unfortunately, it's fanning, you know, flames for people who are ignorant, uh, stupid, and, you know, not very educated to come out and just voice whatever they want. And they form these clicks and silos. And that's why we see, you know, the Biden bus trying to be run off the road. That's just what it is. Right. Yeah, it uh, definitely allows people to choose uh, a bubble of information to live in um, and they lose connection, I think, with people who are closer in geographic proximity, but maybe further in ideological proximity. So you wind up with uh, people living kind of in the same communities, but in completely different uh, perceptions of, of the world. And uh, I think that's probably accelerated um, since uh, with all the quarantine measures we've seen where people are living more and more in these bubbles that are separate um, from each other. Right. So, I mean, it's, yeah, we, we, we have to tackle this once. Uh, hopefully, you know, we, we get the right person at the White House again. And some of these things will have to be brought up and, and made sure that, you know, there's some semblance of factual um, information that is being imparted on these platforms. And we can't have this just going on forever. It's going to destroy everything we know. But that being said, I want to segue into sort of our next topic, um, you know, we, we, we've talked about this before. The, the Supreme Court has definitely been uh, sort of tilted in a 6-3 uh, sort of category where it's more conservative now, 6-3. to three. Um, And we also saw some of the ramifications that came in recently. It's like Wisconsin was not allowed to, um, you know, allow mail-in ballots or even uh, certain late voting that happens after 3rd of November. Uh, and Suddenly, like there were a couple of other states I forgot, but because of that ruling, there were some lawsuits that were filed in other states that thought that was coming in. I think Pennsylvania was one of them. And they are allowed now, I think, till November 9th to be able to get all of the ballots and kind of count them, et cetera. Um, interestingly, though, that Barrett was not one of the uh, judges who cast votes at that point, because I think she's probably getting up to speed at this point. So it was sort of an eight-judge uh, bench that, that made that decision. Um, I am not entirely sure how this will play out because even if Biden wins and there are some, uh, you know, some folks raise their hands up and say that this was not done uh, fairly or correctly. And there's a lot of issues um, the way that this election was conducted and how the votes were cast. Um, I, I'm honestly intrigued to, and just from, uh, you know, a, a judicial and a political standpoint to see how this plays out. But what are your thoughts on how, how you perceive this uh, 6-3 uh, you know, um, disadvantage for liberals, right? How, how do you think that this is going to play out in terms of the Supreme Court? Well, I think um, there may be a little bit of hesitance to take up the issue um, because there's, even though there's a conservative majority on the court, 
they, I think, are aware of, um, very aware of where the court's prestige and public perception of the court sits. And they understand that if they were to take up uh, issues surrounding the election and decide those issues along partisan lines, that it would be, uh, it would do a lot of damage to the court's um, prestige and the public perception of its legitimacy. Um, and another factor too, is that when these justices are appointed, that's sort of, uh, in my mind, the sort of the last moment that the parties have control over those justices. Since they're appointed for life, then they are, um, they have the, let's see, the loyalty to a particular political party no longer, I think, becomes a pro of primary concern to them. Uh, and, or at least it's not a controlling concern in the same way. So they may be willing to make, to make decisions that are uh, focused on other factors like preserving the legitim legitimacy of the court. Right. I mean, I understand where you're coming from and what, what you're saying here. But again, you know, we do live in very unprecedented times, right? We never thought that the president of the United States or any administration would willfully try to destroy democracy as we are seeing it right now. Um, I would not put it past anyone or anything to play unfair. Yep. It's shaping up to be a volatile week for sure. There will be a lot to discuss, however it turns out, but that's all we have time for this time. Thanks again for listening. Thank you again for tuning into the Awareness Project. Hope you guys have a great day.